In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning we had read to us from the epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians. And I'll read it again for our edification. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. When we interpret Scripture, the first rule of Scripture, of course, is to start to ask questions about what the text means, and not just what it means to the church in Ephesus, but what it means for us today. What does this, what does St. Paul have to say to us? Unfortunately, many times uh, our number one rule of scripture is not the interpretation of how this uh, in, applies to us, but maybe how it applies, uh, well, on first level, maybe to those in Ephesus, maybe about those that we're talking about that we would rather this epistle be written to than to us. But let us open our minds and our hearts to hear the scripture as addressed specifically to you and to me. Paul beseeches the Christians at Ephesus as a prisoner, as one who has suffered all things for Christ, as he enumerates in the epistles to the Corinthians about all of the sufferings that he had undergone, scourges, shipwreck, poison, all sorts of of calamities. And here he talks to the Christians in Ephesus and he tells them to walk worthy of the call that they have been called to do it in lowliness, with gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring jumps out to me. Endeavoring uh, implies intentionality. And with that intentionality, uh, it brings up a whole host of issues or challenges that we have in our contemporary life. It's probably no surprise to you that many sociologists and commentators or cultural critics of America uh, one of the things that I could say about America is that we're a nation of strangers. We're a nation of strangers. We're a nation of people that get into their cars uh, and drive along the road next to other little cars. And we're all in our kind of little cubicles from our homes to our cars to our work. Cubicle, cubicle, cubicle. And maybe our connection with the world is through, maybe it's through family, but more and more it's less through family, and it's more and more according to uh, whatever the media has 
provided with us to align ourselves with, whatever that we have put ourselves out there with social media, whatever maybe hashtag that we're following, that we have identified ourselves with these things. But they're usually not things that are actually flesh and blood. They're not actually incarnate with someone next to us. We're a nation of strangers that although we are standing next to each other, who here has been in a subway uh, in New York City? This is the experience, right? You get into the subway and you do not make eye contact. You're all there standing next to each other. Well, maybe never even standing next to each other. You're literally on top of each other, depending on which uh, car you get onto. And there might be some talking here or there, but basically it's silence. The last time I was in New York, everyone literally had uh, earplugs, those little, uh, I think they're Apple ones, AirPods. Everyone had them in. And everyone was staring off into the abyss. I was not cool. I did not have an AirPod. And so I'm just kind of sitting there. I don't know if I would have spoken to anyone necessarily or not. Because, well, they're strangers. I don't know them. They don't know me. I remember even uh, as a kid, that wasn't the case. And I don't think that's just because I grew up in Arkansas. Where people, when they come to a four-way stop, have kind of a a battle about who's going to go first, right? No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. Now we check out uh, at the grocery store with a machine. We don't even talk to anyone. You can go right into Walmart or Kroger and go right through and not say a single thing to a person and come right out. Sometimes, I'll be completely honest, that's really nice. (laughs) Because sometimes you need to just get in Walmart and get out of Walmart as quickly as possible. But I had a conversation actually just the other day with someone who is actually a, a checkout assistant, even though I was using the machine. And I was talking with her and just saying, how often do you actually have interactions with anyone? And she says, really... Not that often. I basically stand here, and what most people interact with me is they get angry because the machine doesn't work. (laughs) Go figure. And so what happens is this doesn't work, or you're making me bag my own groceries, and it's not Aldi's. (laughs) And there's just this disconnect. And all she actually experiences with the people is anger, frustration, And where do they take it out? Maybe sometimes on the machine, but specifically on her. As the body of Christ located here in East Tennessee, in West Knoxville, in Oak Ridge, and in the broader environs, for we have people coming from all over, we are asked, commanded, begged by Paul to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this requires intentionality. If we are a nation of strangers, if we are, uh, as one sociologist called it, a nation bowling alone as the death of all civic organizations continues, we have to be intentional about community. We have to be intentional about the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We have to endeavor after that unity for the life 
that we maybe had in our childhood, the life that maybe we see or saw or read about, but especially the life that's outlined for us in Scripture, a life of unity and community, it's going to require intentionality on our part. It's going to require us to make uh, not just it's woven into our life, we're going to have to make those decisions to make it an essential part of our life. And this is going to be practices. This is the Christian practice of hospitality. We'll see this in the Christian practice of friendship. And not that friendship has a particularly Christian uh, stamp to it. There is a Christian form of friendship. Uh, Friendship, uh, you can read about it in Aristotle. Friendship is an ancient human thing. But unfortunately, in our world today, the natural human things that we could have assumed at one point are quickly fading or they're creating new configurations in such a way it would be hard for us to understand what a friendship would be like today if it was just snapchatting all day is that friendship all of this the hospitality the friendship the need to be intentional about community it requires of us uh, vulnerability and risk In some ways, it's very easy for us to be a nation of strangers. In some ways, it's very easy. And as I've already said, I like the machine at Kroger sometimes or Walmart. I have ordered from Jimmy John's from the app. And they've come and handed it to me at my front door. And I said, thank you. And I shut the door. Some of these things, they're okay. But if this is what our life starts to get boiled down to, we have to start asking how are we endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Because that type of life forced upon us by economics, by the almighty dollar, it will affect our life in the church. If it affects our life outside of church, it's going to affect our life here in the church. So how do we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace through being hospitable, through maintaining friendships through actually seeking out friendships through seeking relationships with those that we may not normal normally have relationships with i remember there's a particular meme uh that yes i'm talking about a meme uh that the greatest miracle what was the greatest miracle that jesus accomplished or pulled off it's that that yes, that he was a, a man in his 30s who had tw- 12 close friends. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's very few of us, men or women, who can say that we have that many close friends. And if you do have that many close friends, or more than one or two, thank God that you do, because many of us do not. This kind of unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as Paul outlines the gentleness, the loneliness, the long suffering, the bearing one another in love, it requires vulnerability. It requires risk. It requires conflict. Not that conflict has to happen, but if you put two or three people in a room together 
and you do it long enough, there's bound to be conflict. Ask any married couple after a few hours after the ceremony. There's usually conflict at some point. If not within a few hours, within 24 hours, there will be conflict. And either that conflict goes somewhere, it becomes reconciliatory, it creates purpose, it allows for either party to repent, it requires the patience, the humility, the long-suffering, the loving to say, we're going to stick through this no matter what. This is the bond and the unity of the Spirit. And it is hard because many of us have been hurt. Many of us have risked. Many of us have been vulnerable. And that has not been uh, a gamble that we want to take again. But Paul beseeches us to do this, to seek out the unity of the Spirit. For we are one body. We are one spirit. We have been called into this body by one Lord. We confess one faith. We do it throughout the liturgy. We'll say, let us love one another that with one mind we may confess. We've all been baptized and chrismated by the one spirit. The end of the reading that we have for today uh, provides us the entire reason for us to risk this vulnerability. And that is that one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. We will encounter God if we risk to be vulnerable with each other. If we seek friendship, if we seek community, if we rebel against being strangers, if we rebel against bowling alone, if we rebel against screens being the thing that we think will suffice for us, it's not. One God and Father who is above all and through all, through all as in you will encounter God through each other. You will encounter God especially in that moment of vulnerability and risk if you lower yourself and with gentleness and with long suffering bear with the, another person in front of you with love vulnerability requires two parties to be vulnerable for God to show up for God to be available through all and in the end God will be within you all. For as Paul says in another place, the entire scope of our salvation is that God will be all in all. That he will be everything for us. That all of the things that keep us distracted, that keep us apart, that keep us alienated, through God, through his help, through his aid, through his spirit, and through our intentionality of showing up, creating hospitality, pursuing friendship, and risking vulnerability, and the inevitable conflict, that it will be okay. Forgiveness is there. Reconciliation is promised. And that we may gather together and offer up 
with one mind and one heart and one mouth, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit.